welcome to the Easy Mojo Podcast. This is Brian Gilronan and Daniel Peterson. What's up, y'all? Coming at you with our very special guest today. We had to reschedule a few times due to mishaps, but we finally got her in the show. Yeah. We've got the one and only Amanda Cool. Hello. All right. So, besides having a badass name, I mean, right. yes. That's why I'm here, right? <laughs> yeah, well, much, I yeah. mean, that's okay. pretty much the main reason. Pretty but, much. <laughs> but Amanda. Well, that concludes the show. Yeah, right. See you. Thanks. Have a great plug. Thanks for being here. Really follow us. Thanks for having a great name. <laughs> so, I, I've known Amanda for, I, we've figured it out before the show since about 2006, but um, our lovely, talented, beautiful, Wonderful sound engineer Jeff has known her for uh, much longer, and we'll get into that in a moment. But I did want to do your uh, your bio here really quick. So, Amanda got her BA from UK. What'd you get your BA in? Arts administration with Arts an emphasis in music. Ooh, yeah, that's right. We'll talk about that too. Mm. The the birth of the djembe for Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> that's another story though. Um, then she went off to Boston. To get her JD from Northeastern School of Law, is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then let me get over to this website here. She, among other things, held positions with the uh, U.S. District Courts for the Southern District of Ohio, Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection, Conservation Law Foundation, and Resource Conflicts Institute in Nakuru, Kenya which sounds like it's a long way from Boston or Kentucky. Um, and also worked at the Transactional Law Clinic of Harvard Law School. And um, it sounds like you still work with them a little bit, kind of, sort of. Uh, I'm about to be about again. To be. Yeah, so I'm teaching a class there in the spring. Fantastic. And, uh, but currently, I mean, that's what she did do. And now she's uh, back with us in uh, Kentucky. Home. Living her best life at home. Nice. So um, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, Amanda, I've admired you from a long time, kind of from afar, because I don't oh, really geez. get to see you a whole bunch, because <laughs> you've been out of town and I never made it up to Boston. Um, but Jeff did and got to see you. You want to tell us about how you know old Jeff Rickles? How I know old Jeff Rickles. Old Jeff Rickles. <laughs> On the ones and twos over there. Uh, high school, I guess. Yeah, high school. We didn't go to middle school together, did we? No, you were in Southgate. Yeah, Campbell high school. County. Campbell County Campbell High School. Campbell County Camels. Yeah. All right. And uh, I mean, certainly knew him, but I still, poor Jeff, every time I think of high school is the time he almost didn't get to walk in graduation because... What? Because he's so tall that he, and just a spirited little, hey, we're getting ready to graduate, jumped up to hit a beam and knocked a ceiling panel out. <laughs> Let's turn this whole podcast about uh, <laughs> Jeff and I'm thinking. Um, I've never heard this story. Yeah, and it was ridiculous because I think the principal did one of those things that I now know you do as a parent, which is you say the first like threat that comes to mind, and then you're like, that was really <laughs> That's not too gonna... far, but yeah. now I have to like stand behind it. Ooh. And I feel like the principal did that to him because I, was, I happened to be standing next to him, and the principal said something like, well, now you don't get to walk in graduation or something. And Jeff's like, what? Like, this wasn't even intentional. <laughs> It was, yeah, it was like a styrofoam panel that fell out of the ceiling. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, he did get to walk. Okay. Um, All right. They relented. So, but for some reason, that's my defining moment. I mean, I guess wow. because that was like the last shebang of high school. But. Yeah. So after high school and the styrofoam ceiling tile incident, mm -hmm. um, you went to Lexington, yes? I did. So uh, actually, I, right after we graduated high school, I marched drum and bugle corps. So I was gone all awesome. summer on uh, buses and gym floors and playing music. And then with a specific. Uh, with blue coats. With the blue coats. Out of Canton, Ohio. Oh, yeah. DCI. Right? Yep. Drum yep. Corps International. That's a whole world I just got exposed to a few years ago. Which oh, is, really? It's like a. It's crazy. It's crazy oh, yeah. town. It's a yeah. thing. Yeah. It could be its own episode, but. It's okay, a thing. so you were so, drumming yeah. around doing your thing. Yeah. What, what, and then, I got to ask, what was it? Snare? Tom, so I was or? there. I was in the front ensemble. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. What is, what's that? So I played like marimba and Ooh. vibraphone and, you know, all kinds of accessory huh. percussion type stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I went straight from there. DCI finals were on a Saturday night uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, and then drove through the night and was doing marching band stuff at UK, drumline mm -hmm. stuff Sunday and thus started college mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and so you're 
Say that again. You were arts administration with a focus on music. Yeah. So I actually, I was a music major t- till the very first day of classes. <laughs> 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 and I was a music major because I liked to play music. You know, there wasn't a whole lot more thought than that. That was all I did with my life at the time. Mm-hmm. So that seemed like the logical thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then they're kind of going through all the requirements and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, I'm either a performance major or an education major, which mm. means I'm set up to either have a performance degree or be a band director. And oh, yeah. I don't really Didn't know that I want to do either of those things, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I was like, well, a performance major is just a piece of paper that says you can play. But mm-hmm. in hindsight, I can look and see and realize that I, I, as much as I loved music and wanted to play music and wanted to be around it and that was my life, I wasn't a performer mm-hmm. like I didn't have that kind of drive to perform okay um so it was like well now what do I do you right. know <laughs> so, I'm here now <laughs> there was a there was this new major called arts administration I could still be in the studio mm-hmm. and still have scholarship mm-hmm. money for playing music but I could take these other classes about like nonprofit arts management and mm-hmm. things like that and I was like oh that sounds mm-hmm. great so I switched my major the first day and wow that's sure your advisor love that yeah, well, I guess it was early enough in the game. Yeah, you know? it's true. Better yeah. now and than a lot like of it, yeah. three years down the road. The classes were largely the same for like okay. the first two years. Um, so yeah, that's what I ended up doing, which I think was the right choice for me for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Before, I want to ask about how, you know, you went from that to law school. So that's mm. yeah. sure there's a story there. Yeah. But you, um, so, you know, uh, Jeff and Daniel and I have been in various bands over the years and, and really we, we credit you as the origin of Jeff's awesome djembe skills. <laughs> yes. I don't know that you can give me credit for that. Uh, well, you're getting all the credit. That's pretty innate. You're the one that that's innate him, talent right? over I mean, there. No, not at all. No? That's innate talent. Have you been lying he to was, me for years He now? was born with that, for uh, sure. Oh, we yeah, watched some terrible VHS that, yeah. videos trying to rehead djembes on our own. <laughs> oh. With Kalani, yeah. <laughs> it's called, what was it, like djembe fever or djembe... Djembe fever. We need Something to, we like need that. To YouTube that. That but sounds her, pretty amazing. Your drum was laying around at Jay's house when we, when Jay and Chris and I were decided to start playing music, and your, oh. your drummer happened to be there. So, yeah, that's, huh. what, that's when Tuppy Jumbo was. Yeah. What do you know? So, listeners, if you didn't catch that, um, Jeff's djembe playing skills all came about because Amanda's djembe just happened to be laying, laying around the around. apartment. Mm. Which with djembe the... is a hand drum for all the people listening that don't know what that is. It's not a bongo. No, it is not. Was that Latonia? Is that what you mean? Cause it, was, it was at Jay, You had it at Jay's house for some reason. Oh, okay. In Southgate. Southgate, Kentucky. I think I had a little tiny Gotcha. Because, so. you know, that time your apartment got broken into... Two days in a row uh, in Latonia. That's not good. Um, Again, can we pivot and just tell that story? Yeah, we. You know that it was a near miss because that drum, that djembe that I still have, actually, we just moved it this morning, is like priceless to me. I mean, it's beautiful. I've seen really incredible people play it in halls. It's it's a really Mm -hmm. nice drum. Mm And whoever broke into their apartment <laughs> stole the, ca- the case for it to fill it with, like, DVDs and whatever else oh they stole from their God. apartment. And, I mean, it's a nice, like, tuxedo bag case, yeah. like a $100 case, but not a, not a priceless, priceless drum. Not a priceless like, yeah. instrument. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we lost wow. the case, but somehow That's not. okay. Won the war. <laughs> totally, totally. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. Okay. So what, what got you into percussion, like, you know? At first, because is that oh, kind of where you were focused was, yeah. was percussion and things like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what gets any of us into stuff, I guess. Well, I started out playing saxophone in middle school yes. band, actually, yeah, and played through, like, seventh grade. And then I think I started to realize, like, all of the pat. First of all, I kind of wanted to stand up. I know that's a weird thing to say, but I no, liked that people in the back could move around. Yeah, and, yeah right. Um, Not be stuck in your chair doing all those concert yeah. Yeah. things, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. this is like what I was thinking as a, what is that? 12 year old or whatever. Right. These are those the things are, that are those are valid thoughts. Yep. It's all good. Uh, and I liked that you could play different things and it seemed more kind of a, um, widely applicable to me. Like you mm-hmm. could do different things and, um, you know, I was into weird musical things as a kid as we all are. Right. Like I thought the Boston pops were like the coolest thing mm-hmm. I'd ever seen and, <laughs> Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to play jazz. So why am I playing saxophone? Cause you mm. can't be in an orchestra and play saxophone and you can't, whatever. Those are limited yeah. pieces for that. Yeah. yeah. You don't so, want to jazz. so I just switched, I think in mm. end of seventh grade, I think is when I switched and that's where I stayed. 
And then do you did the whole marching band thing at, in high school or? Yep. Did the marching band thing in high school, did all of those things in college, you know, I mean, college marching band, drum corps, percussion ensemble, and world always... ensemble, steel drum band, all of it. So, so it would all be... like, not just like snare bass or cymbals, you were like doing all the ultra percussion stuff. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, it was a really well-rounded program. You know, I lucked into having UK in our backyard and Jim Campbell is like, mm-hmm. you know, great. You can mm-hmm. listen to people like Glenn Kochi say great things about Jim yeah. Campbell all the time. So. Mm-hmm. Or all day long. So, yeah, I mean, that was just kind of the life, and that's what everybody else around me was doing. So that's mm-hmm. normal, right? You're at 8 a.m. rehearsal every morning and, mm-hmm. you know, afternoon rehearsal, lessons a few hours a week. And Friday afternoon, you get in the car and you drive to Canton. You rehearse mm-hmm. Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, leave about noon. And from 8 to midnight, you're doing indoor ensemble in Lexington, you know, and then you get up at 8 a.m. on Monday. And do wow. the so that was like... And that was your life. That was my life. Yeah, Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Um, But yeah, so going to law school was weird. I'm just going to say, it's like this is like so much music focus and and that looked like the goal. So what what's the transition piece there? How did that happen? Yeah, uh, well, so I had graduated college and I had an arts admin job um, and I was teaching some marching bands in Western Kentucky. and some like kids theater stuff, which was kind of funny, really funny. Uh, and I just had hit this moment in my life where I was about to get married and that relationship kind of fell apart right before we got married. And mm-hmm. suddenly I was untethered in this really okay. um, exciting way for realizing, okay, I'm at this point in my life. I don't have anything holding me here. Right. Um, maybe now's the time to do something that I wouldn't have otherwise done, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd loved my right. life. It's not like I was unhappy. I could have stayed right. there. Could still be there. Yeah. Hanging out in yeah. Western Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, we had this big, beautiful farm, and, you know, I was happy. Uh, but mm-hmm. suddenly this unexpected opportunity sat before me, and mm-hmm. so I was like, huh, well, maybe I'll go back to school. And, like, law school, I never wanted to be a litigator. I'd never thought about being yeah. a lawyer. I'd never met one, I don't mm-hmm. think, um, at least that I knew, you know. Um, but as these things happen, a good friend of mine, actually, that I played music with in undergrad had gone to law school at Chase. Okay. And And Northern Kentucky University Law School. Northern Kentucky University. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I remember just talking to him and being like, I don't know, maybe I should go to law school. And I think part of it too, is I hadn't really been academically challenged. Like undergrad for me was about playing music. Okay. So I hadn't really, so there was something appealing about that too, Mm -hmm. right? Like that kind of intellectual rigor. The mind kind of get after it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, a chance to kind of change the trajectory of my life in some mm-hmm. way that I couldn't yeah. predict. Like, it wasn't like at the end of this, I'm going to be a white-collar criminal defense attorney and work at it, right? <laughs> do, 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 look at me. Nothing, <laughs> nothing like that. I didn't even really knew, know what it meant to be a lawyer, but law school yeah. sounded like, you know, the a next smart horizon, move. yeah. Um, and so I remember asking him and being like, I'm thinking about this, but, like, I don't know anything about going to law school, and I don't know how the government works. And mm-hmm. he was like... If you can read and you can write, that's all that matters. Like, they can teach you the rest. And that was kind of all I needed to wow. be like, all right, well, I'll sign up for the test. And I took it okay. else at UC. And mm-hmm. um, and then it was like, he was really helpful, too, in saying, based on what you get on the LSAT, you can look on the internet and kind of gamify uh, where, where you, you're going to get can in. Go. And he'll... Will they might give you money? Is that like a thing? Or you that's gotta... part of it, yeah. But like your LSAT and your GPA form a graph that basically right, tell sure. you, you know, where you can get in right. unless there are some kind of extraneous factors. And so I was like, well, I've always wanted to move to Boston for reasons that had nothing huh. to do with law school. You know, it Boston was like, Pops, right? I thought the Boston oh, Pops yeah, was yeah, cool. Right, I thought yeah. Berkeley was like, you know, I used to get the CDs in the mail from Berkeley when they would recruit oh, you. And I thought yeah. Berkeley College of Music was like the coolest thing I'd ever okay. heard of. And New England Conservatory and Boston Conservatory and, you know, all these music, really. Um, I'm like, well, I guess I'll move there, right? Mm -hmm. So I applied to law schools in the area and luckily got into Northeastern. It's definitely the right place um, for me. And I'd never been there. Yeah, I know nothing about Northeastern. I really know very little about Boston. Yeah, I'd never even been to Boston (laughs) when I you had this dream of Boston. You've never been there. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, looking back, it was not, you know, people are like, well, what made you decide on Northeastern? I'm like, well, because I went to the Google. Because like, I saw this graph. <laughs> and I was like, like, public interest, law school, 
you know, social good. Like I'm just putting in all of these yeah. like cues. Oh, okay. And it pops up and it's like number one public interest law school in the oh, country. Oh, so there's the thread. That makes sense. And it was you in were Boston. thinking about doing good for other people and that's a place that yeah, had I, the program that you, you know, resonated with. Yeah. And that, that was, makes sense. I think I guess so. Yeah, but it was like very vague. Walk that back. It's all right. It's me, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like a, oh, I'm going to be a, this kind of lawyer again. It was like, I don't know. I want to do something hmm. positive. I whatever think that's, that means. that's such a, an awesome way to, to approach that than one that you certainly don't hear. I mean, ever. Because most right. folks are like, I want to go to law school. So money oh, later. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hmm. That, I mean, maybe that would have been smart in certain ways, but no. no I wouldn't know. I was thinking about it as a tool. Really, for okay. me, it was like I loved what I was doing in my career, but I thought a law degree was like a tool that you could wield mm. for like the force of good. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up there. What kind of good did you see yourself wanting to do when you were going in, and how has that kind of translated, you know, when yeah. you were in, in the trenches, like, you know, up till however late? going through all these briefs and stuff like that (laughs) well I mean I think that's a really good question because a lot of law school is figuring out what I didn't want to do because I didn't have like a vision I didn't know enough lawyers to know like oh that person does something that I would like to do and so you know clear I always cared about music so I thought Mm -hmm. the arts was interesting but I didn't want to be like an entertainment lawyer in terms Mm -hmm. of like representing artists necessarily right um you know, I'd always cared about environmental stuff and agriculture mm-hmm. and land. And so that was interesting to me. But then a lot of environmental attorneys were litigators. And to me, litigation just has always felt really inefficient and mm-hmm. unproductive. And so I'm like, I want to be a transactional attorney because I like the idea of like, we're both working to get to the same place, even if we have b- different ideas about how to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a lot of environmental classes, a lot of IP classes. Um, What's IP? Intellectual property. Oh. Um, Who owns what? Right. Well, not? right. So trademark, patent, okay. trade secret, yeah. copyright. So that overlapped with the music thing, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. Um, then there was kind of the ag focus. Like I got really into like genetically modified seed and like the real property and intellectual property implications there and the environmental stuff. And mm-hmm. I just kind of nerded out in a bunch of different directions. <laughs> and it was it was what I thought it would be in terms of getting a fresh start at working hard in an intellectual way. Um, mm. You know, I think with music, one, you know, the focus was music and not necessarily in the classroom, but I also gravitated towards what I was good at. And mm-hmm. I didn't, you kind of shy away from the things or hide behind the things you're good at and like avoid the things you're not. Oh, yeah. And suddenly in law school, I was so intimidated by everybody and everything, you know, like okay. I would every day I'd be on the bus or the train and I'd pass like Berkeley and I'd pass New England Conservatory and I'd pass Symphony Hall, all these places that I'd always like thought about and then I'd walk into a a law school Mm -hmm. with people who were like I was a finance major in undergrad what did you do and I'm like what do we have in common why am I here you know arts and music hey yeah yeah like what am I doing you know um wasn't college good enough like who do I think I am um and so suddenly I this kind of flip happened and I realized well if I'm intimidated by everything like I'm just gonna have to work super hard and so I started finding the things that I'm like I've never written a research paper I'm terrible at it so I'm gonna work crazy crazy hard at this thing I'm bad at right and I kind of switched to finding my weaknesses and just like out hustling yeah um and that was a good approach, I think. And yeah. so my those those jobs you listed off, you know, the great thing about Northeastern is they have these co this co op program. And mm-hmm. so your first year of law school is like anywhere else, and then your second and third year, you're either in school for three months or you're working for three months. Okay. Wow. And so that was super helpful in figuring out, you know, what I liked and what I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And it was never like this is my dream job. It was like I like this aspect of this job, okay. but not that aspect. Did you and have control over that, or you were do. they like, hey, you're doing this now? You have to apply like right. any internship, but yeah. you get to pick, okay. right? So, um, you know, I, I worked for a federal judge because somebody told me that looked really good on your resume, and again, okay. I was like, I'm just gonna. And that was do Southern District things. of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, worked with Judge Delot. Liked that more than I thought I would. You know, I didn't like litigation. Set out of Cincinnati, I mm-hmm. assume. Okay. Yep. Um, so that was interesting. I worked for the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection. There was like that environmental angle, but it okay, wasn't yeah. really what I thought it was going to be. So that yeah. was useful to know. Like uh, too much bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. as impactful. Right. Crushing right. bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And so then out of the third one, which was a big firm, this kind of golden ticket, big firm offer Ooh. that people go for, uh, then I kind of had a freebie at the end. And I was like, I've always wanted to go to Africa for musical reasons, but oh, let's tie-in. go do land rights stuff. Yeah. So went and did land rights stuff, but learned a bunch of musical stuff too. And, um, had just an incredible experience there working over there and st- I'm still involved in certain ways with folks wow. in Kenya. How long were you over there? Three months. Three months. Yeah. I was going to see, I think it was a good detour. Can you tell us about Kenya? Cause yeah. we have <laughs> certainly never had anyone on the show that's been to Africa. Really? No, well, not yet. No. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, but you're the first. Wow. Kenya. So I, I mean, I guess I'll start by saying to give context to my experience there Again, no idea really what I was doing. Um, I just knew I wanted to go to Africa for this last kind of, again, you yeah. only have one chance in last your life to have this. Yeah. freebie adventure. Yep. And so uh, I had applied a bunch of places and like nobody was responding to me. Nothing was coming through. Mm-hmm. And I was applying. It wasn't like places that had postings. Like the requirement was that you had to have somebody with a law degree. And so I was just finding places where somebody worked there that was a lawyer and that I would want to work there you know Mm -hmm. no one was a was responding and so about two and a half weeks or so before I needed to start somewhere I went to the office on campus and just started picking up the phone and calling these places all around Africa and I got um suddenly people started responding and it was two and a half weeks or two weeks before I needed to start my first day wow I no got plane ticket bought. Or was, nothing. You, oh, wow. Nothing Oof. was bought. I got uh, five offers in like four different countries in the wow. span of like 48 hours. I mean, they just all kind of fell. Wow. And so I lined them up and I was like, well, which one of these places is the smallest town? Mm-hmm. Because most of them were in kind of capital right. cities yeah. and things. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up with Nakuru, Kenya. And wow. so bought a plane ticket with like, yeah, 10 days or something to spare. I mean, it was a quick turnaround and when, and so the the context, all of this to say that one, I didn't know what I was doing. And two, I had no basis of knowledge of who goes there and why. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. come to find out, um, people like me, like white women from the States Mm -hmm. go usually as like missionaries or as some part of point of like, of student abroad program. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, I did not. I was essentially going and like getting an apartment and working yeah. for three months. Yeah. Which, They're like, we're not used to this, but yeah, it was, we're going to roll with it. I was actually at a conference in Kansas City last week, and my Lyft driver was from Kenya. Oh, nice. And he was from Nakuru. And oh, I was wow. like, oh, oh yeah, wow. I rented an apartment in White House. And he was like, no, what? you did not. <laughs> he was like, you lived in White House? You didn't live in Milimani, which is, and I was like, like no. The, I lived. Um, yeah. But so I didn't realize that, you know, but I just like didn't fit in these, this box, but it was the most. I think that, that describes your life pretty well. Just saying, but. I guess, I don't yeah, know. I guess. Um, so it was just an incredibly, incredibly eye-opening experience and sometimes super difficult in a way that I was like, well, I get to fly home and then I go back to being like you know, blending in wherever I want to go and feeling comfortable wherever I want to go. And, you know, it was just, I'm so grateful for that experience because Mm -hmm. kind of going somewhere and not fitting into what's expected of you kind of just made the experience for me. That's awesome. Um, But yeah, I got to work with, you know, pastoralist tribes. So like the Maasai and Mm -hmm. the Sambru, some of those tribes and Mm -hmm. whose land rights have been cut off and um, still working on water access and things like that for them. Um, so that's like trying to interact with governmental agencies to get their rights back kind of thing? or uh, You're often working in the absence of law there, oh, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. You're also you know, working under norms, both, both like legal norms and social norms like of like traditional women can norms. own property, but yeah. yikes men own their daughter, you know, fathers own their daughters in many ways when you're talking about marriage. Yeah. And so it's just like all of these different um cultural differences that you're caught between you know how do you feel about this and and where do you let go and represent whatever the primary voice is and you know all of these just really interesting conundrums in life about the assumptions that we make and the the culture that we carry with us that we don't even realize are our our values or our culture um which was helpful too in in terms of the way that kenyans 
could really articulate like this is our cultural food or this is our whatever and they would yeah. ask me like what is your what's your traditional american meal and like, i struggled uh... i don't know you know and finally i came around i, was like, I guess steak and like <laughs> a baked potato you know that's fair uh it was it was really opening and i'm you know still have close friends there to this day and that's awesome yeah will always so be a part awesome. of me yeah Love that. did you say there was also a musical aspect of that trip as well yeah well i mean the different you know tribal groups will have different um their own culture and mm. so like the luos would have ohangalas which are like their dance and their music and mm -hmm. so i got was lucky enough to get to go to some of that stuff and um yeah, I, I mean, everywhere, you know, I'm sure you all do the same thing. Everywhere I go, I want to know. You know, when I went to Ecuador, I came back with an Afro-Ecuadorian marimba because that's yeah, what they make that there. And, awesome. um, so I just always like that getting out of the city and drilling mm -hmm. into like, what does what does music look like in these neighborhoods? When were you in Ecuador? That was 2006. So that was right, oh, before, right was before I went you, to Boston, oh, Boston. Yeah. Okay. And what was the... Was that connected to UK or just you're doing a, <clears throat> doing your thing? No, that was I got I worked at the symphony here in town. Oh, nice! And CS, Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. I sold subscriptions. Nice. And we got laid off for three months. Oh, and it was enough. And I knew. Well, that's that's like seasonal, right? right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so it was another one of those. All right, I have three months. What do I do? And I don't really have any money, <laughs> but is there somewhere I can go where I can like? work some and otherwise this can be really really cheap mm -hmm. and you just kind of ran it down and was like okay Ecuador's i can go to winner. ecuador wow. <laughs> so i gotta i want to watch you like do a google search it must be fascinating <laughs> like, like eh, yeah, this right. life decision <laughs> all right <laughs> luckily google existed i don't know what would mm -hmm. i do before that right. that's yeah i don't yeah. know thanks google props to google don't sue us <laughs> um that's awesome, God. That's great. So you got back from Africa, and then yes, you so kind of back in the swing of things, or so I came back, and a few days later graduated from law school, um, wow. and the whole economy had tanked, oh, yes. right? <laughs> and so it was, you know, funny. I had one of these golden ticket big firm jobs, right, that everybody wants, and mm -hmm. Mm. it started with you know, this expectation that you would take the bar and then you would start there in September and, you know, here's your salary and benefits package and all that. And it just started slowly kind of unraveling. Mm, okay. Um, because nobody knew what was going on. Right. Yeah, there is no, the who knows markets. where the bottom's going to be. Yeah. Right. And so I ended up getting a job uh, nannying because, you know, I think we all should have our, whatever your skill is, do you yeah. bar, you know, I've waited tables and I've mm -hmm. been a nanny. And yeah. so... I started nannying for a family in Cambridge because I thought I was filling a gap from September. They pushed our start back to January. Oh, and so okay. I was writing a law review article, which was good um, for my career. It mm -hmm. was ready to be published about genetically modified seed, actually. Oh, okay. And uh, so that's become more interesting as like glyphosate is in the news. And, you yeah. know, I was writing about this stuff like a decade ago, which is pretty cool um, to see it all kind of coming out. We'll have to... We'll We'll make a note. We'll come yeah, back. We'll have to talk <laughs> I don't know what you just said. I'm not too sure. But oh, so we'll... Roundup. You know how like you're oh, seeing yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, Monsanto mm -hmm. and genetically modified seed, there was like right. this interesting intellectual property implication in that like you can plant something and then it can like grow again and somehow you don't own the thing that's growing say, again. Monsanto still owns it or whatever. Oh yeah. Right? Yep. Okay. Right. Um, and then, you it's know, weird. it's tied to Roundup and now they're finding that like glyphosate, which is the active ingredient. And Roundup mm -hmm. is causing cancer, and so that kind of stuff was just being about talked about that in like two thousand eight, nine. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just yeah. kind of coming about, but so, anyways, wow. Um, wow. so I was nannying for this family, and I was like, I've got to, I've got to protect my resume. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah. what's happening if yeah, this yeah, job yeah. falls off. Like, I don't, I could tell that this was going to be a generation of attorneys that was going to be really hard to kind of have a job mm -hmm. um, if you had a gap or any excuse for them not to hire you. Yep. And so as luck would have it, the woman I was nannying for used to work at Conservation Law Foundation, and I oh, had always okay. admired their work, and I, they had never given me the time of day and for a co-op. they're out of uh, Boston? Yeah. Mm -hmm. they're, they have offices throughout New England, but okay. big one in Boston. And so, um, you know, I said I'd, I've got to start doing something to keep my resume current. Mm -hmm. And she was like, and my firm did not give us like a 
specific time frame. So once they moved us from September to January, then it was like, we'll call you back when we need you. Ugh. That might be next week. It might be a year, which makes That's it really scary. hard to go to somebody and say, can I work for you? And they're like, for right. how long? And you're like, I, I don't know. I don't An know. indeterminate <laughs> amount of time. Exactly. It could be tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So she went and because she had connections there, was able to say, you know, I have this woman who's working for me, watching my kid, but this is what she's interested in. She'd like to work here. Could you help her out? And so I started working there one day a week and kind of remotely mm -hmm. the rest of the week while I was watching her kid and right. then eased into it. And it helped, too, that there was another attorney there uh, who was new and willing to take a chance for somebody to oh, okay. help him out, right? Okay. Um, and so I did that for a while, and I eventually got called back to the firm that fall uh, in the global finance practice group. Wow. Which – Based That's on everything I tell you, not exactly who you are, was not now. on my list of five priorities of where I wanted right. to be. I wanted to help people, but now I'm a corporate raider. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you have that moment of what am I doing? And of course, I mean, you have to take it, right? Like, you, um, you know, I, I went to law school with people who didn't have to take it. And that yeah. was a tough thing, too, is realizing how out of your league are when people, you know, I had somebody say to me once, well, I'm sure that people who work in bomb factories are able to justify that, too. Yikes. Uh, mm. That's you know, and then you say to that person, well, I know where your apartment is, and I know that it costs more than our student loan allotment a month is. Mm -hmm. So how is that happening? And they're yeah. like, well, my, you know... What's that? Said, I couldn't, I went, couldn't hear you. You're breaking right. up there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you say, well, my student loans are paying my rent and my dad's rent. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. here's where we are. So I took that job and was like, I'm just going to learn the most I can. And and I did. I mean, I learned a lot and uh, worked hard and got some kind of core skills, but mm -hmm. realized I was on a career path. That you really didn't want to be on. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a moment, a really good friend of mine from college, um, while I was working there, like went to sleep and didn't wake up. Like she just died in her sleep. Oh my God. And I had this moment where I was like, okay, if that happened to me, like how am I defined right now? Wow. Like this right. isn't, this yeah. isn't the plan, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's um, heavy. yeah. So I, I, so I was like, okay, well I got to find the next whatever. And this, I uh, started looking and I wasn't really qualified for anything I was interested in because I'd been doing this other <laughs> yep. kind of corporate finance thing. Yeah. And then this position opened up in the clinical programs at Harvard Law School, and they mm -hmm. wanted somebody with big firm experience and like corporate and finance stuff, um, and somebody who knew something about real estate, ideally. And I'd taken all those classes because you know I liked land, mm -hmm. um, and a background in music or entertainment law was a plus because they wanted oh. them to run the Recording Artist Project, which is a partnership wow. between. Berkeley music business students oh, and so cool. Harvard law students represent Boston musicians. And I it's was like, like you were born for it. I got this. Yeah, I wow. got this. And suddenly all of those skills where I was representing these large companies, now I'm representing people who are starting food trucks or starting bands wow. or right. worker right. cooperatives, you know, uh, groups of immigrants who are forming landscape cooperatives so that they don't have to worry about wage theft. Now they wow. can kind of own their own businesses. And I was like, Yes. This, you know? yeah, really jealous, yeah. 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 So then it kind of all came together. And just to tie the thread even tighter there, mm -hmm. um, the director of the clinic at Harvard used to work with another clinician in, in another clinic who was that attorney who hired me at Conservation Law Foundation. Whoa. So basically I nannied wow. for a woman. She handed me to this job. I worked for that guy. He put in a good word at Harvard. And so wow. I went from nannying to, you know, Man. teaching faculty at Harvard Law School. So that is <laughs> so cool. As you as you do. As, right. as you know, as you do. Um, yeah, so so it kind of all came together in this really incredible way and it's just such a dream job and dream experience and um, I was able there to really pull together kind of transactional law and social good mm -hmm. in a way that I think a lot of people with lawyers still have trouble. Even kids in law school, it's not talked about. It's like if you're if you care about the public interest, then you are a public defender or you're uh, a whatever, uh, right? You and fit right. you fit this box, yeah. right? And it's like okay, but these things have to fit together. Like yeah. you cannot fight to keep somebody in their home and them not have a job or a way to pay the rent next right. month. They end right. up in the same place, you yeah, know. Yeah. Like, but you also can't expect people to meet their economic potential and their life potential when they're saddled with all of these civil legal needs that are unmet, right? Yeah. So um, 
to me that they just tied together in a way that I think we were able to move the needle and find a home for those students who were like, I care about the public good, so I actually am into this transactional business mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's stuff. see the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were there for five Five years. years? Okay. Yeah. And you went from this dream job that sounds like you're still jazzed up about it yeah. and left. Well, it wasn't Kentucky. It wasn't uh, Kentucky. It wasn't home. Yeah. And that was always part of the plan. It just kept getting moved. Like, I almost left law school after uh, my first year. Really? Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I was always planning to come. It's It's home. It's, it's home. home huh? yeah. Kentucky's a special yeah. place, you know? And, I, you know, it's family and all that, too. But I learned from being away for so long that even if somehow I had no familial ties, like, the land of Kentucky is just forever home, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, and I wanted my kids to grow up here and mm-hmm. swing set in the backyard and all that. So all yeah. stuff. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Post article. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about this Washington Times article. Oh, Lordy. Article. Yeah. Washington Post, yeah. Or Washington Post. Yeah. I said Washington Post earlier, and Jeff was like, it's the Washington Times. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'll blame Jeff this time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty wild. Tell us about that. Talk about oh, that. Fascinating uh, topic, I thought. You read it? Yeah. Wow, crazy. Um, yeah, well, okay. So to go back to the Harvard gig for a minute, um, you know, especially Northeastern was like its own, okay, I'm in law school in a city like Kids like me don't end up here too much. Mm -hmm. Um, Harvard Law School just exacerbated that, you know. Uh, So there was kind of this identity you carry with you. um, And then there's this professional identity that, you know, is driven by the work. And, I mean, I was was mission aligned and I loved what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I was still a kid from Kentucky that had a background not like a lot of people there. but there would be students who were from Kentucky or had a connection, and they would find their way to my office, and I would administer the Kentucky scholarship, which was I would take you to Cambridge uh, Common, and we would talk about how great Kentucky was. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and I realized that was special, you know? Yeah. Like, it, things like that would remind you of kind of the identity of home and the mm. how how that's a that's a an asset. You know, yeah. there's that's, that's a good thing, and it's yeah. not something everybody has. You know, a colleague of mine once... So this guy actually from Kentucky was holding this event in the Boston area and he reached out like super cold email, never met the guy via LinkedIn. And he's like, this is who I am. This is what I'm trying to do. Can you introduce me to these kinds of people at Harvard and MIT and your networks? And I was like, totally, you know? (laughs) So I did. And I was telling my colleague about this and he was like, do you even know this guy? I was like, well, no, but but he's from Kentucky. He's from home. He's you know? cool. He's from Kentucky, and the guy was like, well, I'm from New Jersey. And like, people don't just send me random emails and be like, <laughs> Can you do this for me? I'm from New Jersey. You know, I'm like, Well, it's different. It's different. You yeah. know. Um, so I'd been thinking more and more about that, and there's a huge uh, rural lawyer shortage, and there's just a concentration of resources on the coasts mm-hmm. that. Um, isn't even always good for the coasts, right? Like you have these students who are going to New York to practice in law firms and they're making $180,000 a year and yet they're being told by the financial advisor type people in law school that, you know, if you get a second bedroom in your apartment, you're going to be housing burdened based on like your rent versus your income, let alone the kids that are trying to live on a $45,000 you know, public interest stipend, SCAN fellowship or whatever. Uh, So there are like those kind of economic pressures that aren't making sense anymore and they're struggling to find jobs. And then you're looking at like, you know, a 200-mile radius in Nebraska without a single attorney, right? Right. And so, so much of that had been framed as like a, it's like a sacrifice, like, oh, go help those poor people in the middle of yeah i mean that you know harvard law school was the first time i heard the term i heard a student use the phrase flyover country and it was like the oh i hate i mean i think my jaw i was like it hurts what was that you know and it was in for a reference to something like i don't know kentucky kansas somewhere in flyover country oh my god and i thought (laughs) man (laughs) yeah they both start with k (laughs) Uh, good job and but to me, that looked like opportunity, you yeah. know, because I'm like, okay, we have technology, right? I know we do not all have broadband. That's a factor. Mm-hmm. But, like, 
technology is changing. There are needs there, but it's also opportunity because yeah, you right. can have your $45,000 stipend in New York City or, or fellowship in New York City and like live with 17 other people. Right. Or you can go buy a house in a lot of the parts yeah. of the country and I mean, do something different, you know? Yeah. And so I became kind of evangelical about this. Like, no, this is opportunity. This is not like, oh, go save these poor people who don't have attorneys. Like, do something new and cool and exciting. And, mm -hmm. and own it. Yeah, and it's suddenly in the wake of the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. People are like, wait a minute, you know, what's going on? What are these people thinking? Yeah, yeah. so that kind of brought that out more. Um, and so I was, had, was working on a number of different things, at kind of like the rural access to justice and students who wanted to do something other than work at a firm in New York and, you know, working on this stuff. And at a certain point it was like, I can only talk about this while sitting in my office in, in Harvard Square yeah, for so long. Yeah. Where's she located again? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, now's the time. And it just, I mean, it worked out professionally. There was enough momentum economically, you know, Chris and I were tired of renting apartments and yeah. never ever ever going to be able to own and like being at the whim of your landlord oh, going to yeah. sell your house or whatever and you know then we got ruby and then five months after ruby i was pregnant and mm -hmm. it was like now's the time and kind of all came together so any yeah. one of those things i think would have been plenty of reason to move yeah but it all came together and was like that was yeah. the perfect time and we haven't mentioned it all yeah, really, we kind of mentioned it, but Chris is her husband. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Dashing yeah. young man. Not so young now. I sorry. like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris. Sorry, Chris. Ah, oh, wow. So, um, we're getting kind of near the wrap-up, and we're going to ask you for some advice here. But the last thing I wanted to um, mention was the... Um, Alliance for Lawyers in Rural America. Yeah. That sounds like it, it's really tied in with, I mean, that's what you're doing now, right? Uh, that's One not... One of many things? Yeah. I'm yeah. involved in that. It's not my day job and okay. it's not my, like, it's not a paid gig or anything. It's just oh, kind okay. of something I threw up. Yeah. Okay. Not like vomited, threw up, but like put out into <laughs> put the Put out air. into the world, yes. <laughs> um, so what, what is that? So, um, well, let me tell you about... Because I think if I tell you about my day job and then like the other pieces, you'll see how it ties together. But perfect. Sure. Yeah. So we're doing some really cool stuff. So Kentucky's great for many reasons. One of them is that if you want to do something as a state, there's enough state identity that you can get incredible people at the same table mm -hmm. and caring about something on behalf of the state, right? So I'm involved in two different things on that front right now. One is um, with my day job, it's taking this background that I have in like startups and small businesses and all of that and positioning us as a state to better support the legal needs of people who want to grow businesses from kind of inception through scaling okay. that business. And so um, my day job right now is um, as the director of legal operations for this new entity called the Commonwealth Commercialization Center. And it's essentially C3. That's easier to say. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's them, the state realizing that if we want to use entrepreneurship as a tool for economic development, and we've identified, because I did some research last summer, um, that we're really missing the legal support piece, then mm -hmm. we've got to build that into what we're doing, or else you're just going to have more companies who don't get as far as they could Make because they don't. Make it part of the fabric. Yes. Like, yeah. So, yeah, so it's connecting the dots of our three law schools. Like mm. we're looking at courses run simultaneously through all of the law schools, better connecting the law students interested in this stuff to the private bar, better supporting the private bar in different ways, and doing oh. really cool stuff that I, is is like a model, already a model for the rest of the country. It's like you're growing a network, essentially. Yeah. And the three law yeah. schools are Chase and Northern Kentucky. UK and UofL. UK and University of Louisville. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then on the, on the civil legal needs side, too, um, we're doing something similar, a big strategic planning process where if you're a person who's facing a legal need, like you're, you know, either your kid is somehow struggling at school and there are legal issues there, you're getting divorced mm -hmm. or there's, a, you know, a domestic issue or you're getting evicted, whatever it is, where's your first point of contact? Do you mm -hmm. show up mm -hmm. at your library or your church or your kid's school or wherever where it is? Where do you start? Yeah. Where do you start? And then really understanding what happens at that first point of contact, who they send you to, is anybody following up, and how do we make sure you get to resolution? And mm -hmm. so we've done some great work already pulling all of those stakeholders from around the state mm -hmm. together. And buying in, yeah. 
so we can see what's there and then kind of fill gaps, right? Yeah. And so to me, all of this fits together. Like this is so much of my work, I think, is like bridge building in terms of you need the economic opportunity, but you also need the civil legal needs resolved. Like mm-hmm. perfect example, people who have gone through addiction or are now in recovery, we've seen people have a job offer, but to get that job, they need a driver's license. To get the driver's license, they owe $10,000 to Ohio because of something dumb they did when they were addicted. And so it's like you're caught and you can't get out of it, right? So trying to pull that stuff together, which to me is if you talk about it right, we're all mission aligned on that. Like everybody wants jobs, right? Like this isn't a partisan thing. Um, So getting those folks together is the thing I'm doing here. And then there are other people dealing with those kinds of issues in other rural places around mm-hmm, the country, mm-hmm. but there's no institutional home for that, oh, you know? Wow. And I really saw that really? in terms of, yeah. That blows my mind. So like the travel ban, you know, whenever, yeah. when the travel ban went into effect, the ACLU raised like $24 million in a weekend because everyone's right. like, I'm motivated. Where do I go? I go yeah, to the yeah. ACLU. Yeah. There you go. And so post-election, everyone's like the rural justice gap is huge and not having attorneys is making people feel a certain way that's contributing. All of this is connected, right? And where do we go? Who's working on this? There's nowhere to go. Nowhere. Like this little geographic area, that. And um, I couldn't get my former employer to kind of become that place. So at a certain point I was like, well, I was writing an article on access to justice in rural America and there were six of us and we were spread from California to Maine. And I was like, we're never going to have a better starting group than this. We're a network now. Here Let's we go. do it. Yeah. So wow. I just bought a website and we threw it up and we're like, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Damn. And so we did and it's kind of been plodding along. It hasn't been super active mm-hmm. um, because I'm doing other jobs at the same and, time. You know, being a mom. Being a mom. All that yep. stuff. Right. Uh, and then <laughs> I was just at a conference a couple of weeks ago and gave a talk. I was on like the closing panel and I was talking about my work, you know, my work, my work, my work. And suddenly people cared about this like my personal story, which is weird. Even this is weird talking about yourself. Like, <laughs> yeah. Talk about my work all day long. <laughs> yeah. Talking about my, I'm not a performer. Remember that part right. at the beginning? Like, it's right. not, it's not oh, my it thing. It's not my thing. Yeah. But people were coming up and they're like, I'm working on this in Iowa. Like, I'm working on this in Nebraska. Like, wow. if we had a way to connect us so that I'm not out here on this island oh, trying yeah. to figure it out. And so that's what I'm just trying to do is try to pull those bridges together so. You know, anybody who's working near that intersection, not just lawyers, by the way, you mm-hmm. know, um, can find one another and like we can do this more impactfully That's together. Awesome. So. Wow. Man. And you're starting to see, you know, some some hits on that. Yeah. That I mean, even yeah, the American Bar Association afterwards was like, hey, we've been lo- we care about this issue. Like, <laughs> wow. here's this group of people. And so I had to go back and be like, we have to get our act together. You know, <laughs> People are actually showing up now. This is a thing now. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool to hear. Wow. So, okay. So you've done, you know, you've gone through so many different changes and all these different jobs and career paths and travel and things like that. And I would imagine that takes a lot of courage to walk away from certain things, right? But yeah. But also, you know, not just blind courage, but like kind of a little bit of a, a visionary uh, talent, I guess, or, you know, what, what, what would you say to somebody that's, that's kind of at a crossroads? Maybe they've gone down a different path or a certain path and it's not what they thought. Maybe they want something that's completely outside of their uh, location, their network, you know, what, what, what kind of, again, like it takes courage, but what, what brings you beyond that? Like, you know, I don't know if I'm wording this right, but what advice would you give to someone trying to break break out of their situation and into something much greater? I mean, I think where I am right now and what I'm doing right now is exactly where I want to be. And yet mm-hmm. I had no idea that any of these things existed right. yeah. 20 years ago or whatever right. when all of this started, right? Um, and so I think sometimes all of us can get paralyzed by not knowing that where we are isn't right, but not really being able to see a clear picture of mm-hmm. where it is that we want to be, or we think we see it, but it's like so many steps away. Um, and so for me, I've always at some point started to think about it as like a, like you're crossing a, you know, a, a creek or a river or something. And y- you just want to take that next 
you know you need to get to the other side, but you don't know what's on the other side. You just know that's where you're headed. Um, and so it's thinking about where's that next stone and where's mm-hmm. that stone that maybe has a couple more around it. Cause I don't really know where, what it looks like from there, but like, mm-hmm. am I leaving some doors open, um, so that I have some options to pivot once I'm there. And I think that's how I've gotten to here is just by following, getting closer to what I was interested in and what made me feel mm-hmm. like I was doing the work I was supposed to do, um, and plodding along without getting too paralyzed by like, the daunting thought of like the big picture down the road or, right. um, and I, I've had this similar conversation with students a lot because law school and I think life often teaches us to define things in these like really defined ways. Like, again, like I'm going to be a, this kind of lawyer. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Like what, what kind of clients do you want? What kind of office do you, you want to work want? in? Yeah. What kind yeah, of people do you, do you be? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah, kind yeah. of people do you want to work with? And so, you know, I would have never thought I wanted to be a corporate lawyer because I didn't in a big firm. But when it comes to like starting small businesses, like I could do that all day long, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I think it's just that, like taking that first step in the direction of what feels good Mm -hmm. um, versus worrying too much about having it all at once. Mm -hmm. I love it. You heard the woman. That's good advice. That is great. damn good advice. I like it. Amanda, we really want to thank you for being on the show today. Um, Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Do you have any websites to plug or anything you want to give a shout out to? Well, my day job doesn't even currently have a website yet, so I can't I can't plug it because I don't know where it is or where it's going to be. Well, they could find you. Are you Um, on? Are you on the Twitters or? I am now on the Twitter. So they could find you through that. What is your Twitter handle? Uh, Jeff, what's my Twitter (laughs) handle? I think it's just a Amanda L. Cool. What's a? Is it's not my name. My hand. It must be Amanda L. Cool. Okay. We that's, don't. That's got to be right. We we. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. For a long time, I was on Snapchat and LinkedIn. So I was basically like 12 and a grandma oh. and like nothing in between. Yeah, no Snapchats. Uh, I don't think that's a good way to contact. No, I only have like eight friends on Snapchat, and I use it like three times a year. It's so. Like- baby pictures so we're, <laughs> jeff jeff are yes we right? i'm on twitter find me amanda l cool yep right cool on, right with on. a k um yeah awesome so if, if you would like to to get involved in anything she's doing you can find her reach there. out let's yeah. chat. reach out let's chat good stuff um you of course can find us at easymojobaby.com and we would always as always ask you to you know review retweet re Facebook, re Instagram, all the stuff. All the um, stuff. Hit like, that subscribe, subscribe download, yeah. all those things. And um, again, Amanda, thank you so much. This has been a real joy to have you on. And Thanks you for know, having we me. always tell everybody that we love to have a follow up, and hopefully we'll do that you know, yeah. ways down the road, see what other cool stuff is going on. Sure. Right on. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you. Signing off here at Easy Mojo Podcast. We'll catch you next time. See y'all.